0: Cyrus the Great of Persia, Alexander the Great of Macedonia, Charles the Great of the Holy Empire, Alfred the Great of England, Frederick the Great of Prussia, Peter the Great of Russia, Catherine the Great of Russia are just some of the greats throughout history. We don't have anyone in the last several generations that carries the title of the great. And maybe that's because we've become more sensitive to hurting people's feelings because if there's going to be a great, then there might be a Pastor Dan the mediocre and <laughs> Pastor Chris the awful, right? We we would have to categorize everyone somewhere. We'd have to relegate titles to establish someone's greatness by comparison. Or maybe it's because... There are so many things to be great at that it's extremely subjective on how we could say who's the greatest. I mean, for a long time, Michael Jordan was the greatest, the GOAT, greatest of all time in basketball. But some contend that others have maybe taken that place. Tiger Woods, the greatest of all time. golf and we could go down the list of those who've contributed to science and the greatest singer the greatest band or the greatest actor or actress and we could keep talking about greatness in all of those areas so maybe it feels a little overwhelming to try and assess greatness those names I mentioned before they have very little in common actually as what they might have been great at they didn't get that name because they were necessarily great rulers or great with people or great in their kindness. They have one thing in common, they all conquered. So you could have exchanged great for conqueror or victor because they all conquered an enemy. They all suppressed someone who stood as a threat to their nation, to their kingdom. And maybe you and I could begin to assess in our own lives, the measurement of great is overcoming something that stands in the way of moving towards greatness. So greatness is the ability to do something, anything that moves us towards greatness. Because after all, any battle that we fight Any war that we win is the series of not one victorious moment, but rather many, many small battles. You and I, however, we miss the opportunity to do great things and experience great things, to have moments of victory, to conquer even the smallest obstacle in our life because we let great moments pass us by. Because possibly, I'm guessing we don't recognize how great those moments could actually be. I want to go through four, just four things that I think are standing in the way of us, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how to move on to those great things. I've missed a lot of great things in my life, number one, because I've missed the forest for the trees. It's an old expression maybe you've heard. Do you know that only two out of 10 of us In this room, we'll make any kind of New Year's resolution. We'll set a goal this year. Just two out of 10 of us, 20% of us. And of that 20%, only 30% of those 20% will succeed at meeting their goals. That means that just six out of 100 people will achieve their goals this year. Pretty depressing, right? Doesn't even really make you wanna set any kind of goal. It makes you feel as if you're setting yourself up for failure by setting a goal. And I would tend to actually agree. This whole series is about not setting goals, but rather just doing something. Here's one of the biggest uh, hurdles is that the 94% of us that don't set any kind of goals, do so probably because of this, that we see these towering redwoods in front of us. How many of you guys have actually driven to the redwoods and seen staggering? It's it's hard to believe that that is something that exists. It feels prehistoric. If I were to say to you, move that, uh, dig it up, chop it down, or grow it, do that, you make that happen. We would be overwhelmed at the sight of that tree and we would immediately feel defeat and we would walk away. I'm not strong enough, I'm not big enough, I wouldn't even know where to begin, I'm not qualified, I don't know how to do anything like that. But in seeing that singular tree standing in front of us, being overwhelmed by it, we would miss that there are hundreds of saplings that can be planted, that can be moved, that can be nurtured, that can be steered and grown to health, that we can help make something great happen in our own lives. So unfortunately, what we do is we miss how many opportunities we have to do something great because of the single opportunities that we pass up because we know we can't do anything meaningful there. Secondly, is this I miss a lot of great things in my life because I've made perfect the enemy of perfect. So, waiting for the perfect time or waiting for the perfect opportunity or waiting for the perfect circumstance is often what stops us from doing something perfect. And let me explain what perfect means in just a minute. We will over plan something, we'll plan it to death so that we can um, anticipate its success. And in Christianity, we've been plagued with the idea that when we hear the Bible say that God calls us to perfection, be perfect as God is perfect, we start believing that perfect means without error, without blemish, without mistake, without sin, without, uh, uh, without perfection. And that's not at all what the Bible means when it says perfect. Anybody that tells you that it does simply has never really actually studied what it means. Perfect means, when you hear that in the Bible, it means complete, whole, reaching maturity. You see, God sees us perfectly when he sees us grow into our potential that he put in us. So we make perfect Our measurement of things without blemish or mistake, absolute success every single time, the enemy of maturity and growth and completeness. Number three, I've missed a lot of great things in my life because I've let my runway run too long. I've let my runway run too long. So we've had a list of things we all wanted to do so that we could change our habits and grow emotionally. Uh, Get physically healthier, you know, drop those 20 pounds or lose those 10 inches. uh, Improve our marriage, better communication, more intimacy, uh, more generous with our giving. God, help me just to trust you more so that I can give more and bless more people. I want to live a happier, better life. Those are all awesome things to want. They're worthwhile and they're admirable. So why aren't we already doing them? Those are all good. Nobody would not want those things. So why aren't we already doing those? Because none of those things are easy to do. Those things require that we change how we think, how we talk, how we act. We have to sacrifice something now so that we can get a better result in the future. We have to go through undefined and immeasurable seasons of discomfort and pain to get those things that I talked about. We have to give up the familiar and then go into a season of the unfamiliar to get those kind of things. And those things, the feelings of discomfort and the feelings of sacrifice and all of the things I just talked about are things that we normally try to avoid. We work actively to avoid any level of discomfort or pain or sacrifice. So ultimately what happens is those things pass us by because we procrastinate. We know they're good things and we procrastinate not because we don't want to do the thing, we want the thing. We want a better marriage. We wanna be physically healthier. We wanna give more. We wanna be better. We're not procrastinating that. We're procrastinating the negative feelings that we associate with getting to that thing. So instead we just say, I really do need to get back in the gym. I really do wanna do a small group this year. I just gotta, I just gotta be less busy. I, I really do wanna spend more time in the Bible and, and pray more often. I really do want a better marriage. I've gotta, I've gotta prioritize those things. We just keep making promises to ourselves that never get met, and we continue down that road of discouragement. And then fourth is, I've missed a lot of great things in my life because I've been afraid of failing myself and others. Afraid of failing myself and others. One of the greatest contributors to doing nothing over doing something is a little thing called a And we know what a tickophobia is? It's the fear of failing. And that fear fills up the riverbed between expectations and reality. So we have expectations for ourselves, but we also imagine that everyone else has expectations for us. Maybe that was from our upbringing. Maybe that was from um, a a spouse who put too much on us. Maybe that was from uh, having parents that uh, expected a lot from us and we couldn't meet those expectations. Whatever it happens to be is we believe and it creates an insecurity in us that we're never meeting anyone's expectations. And so we feel like we failed. We feel like we're going to fail before we even begin to do anything. And so that riverbed between reality, who we are, and what people expect of us is that riverbed full of fear and we don't want to cross that. We don't want to dive deep into that so it's easier for us to play it safe on the shore. Maybe get a little bit feet in, but we don't want to go deep because deep is risky and deep is gonna put us right in the middle of failing someone's expectation of us. None of us wanna stay there. None of us want to continue to repeat these four things and miss great opportunities in our lives. So here's four very quick things on how we're gonna get a lot more greater, <laughs> okay? So I'm a bit of a grammarian. From a very young age, I've loved to read. In, in school, I would often hide a book under the table and I would read during class. And I, 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 I'd read probably, mm, I don't know. I can, I can sometimes get through three or four books a month if I'm on one of my rants. I love, love reading, and reading has made me a bit of a grammarian. So I absolutely cringe when somebody uses improper grammar, when somebody spells something wrong, when somebody says, especially, or, or, or uh, <laughs> never mind, I'm not, or, or pacifically. <laughs> I just want to get pacific about this for a second. Um, So I did this therapeutically for me, um, but I think it's gonna help us remember. My mirror is about to get a lot more greater because number one, great things happen for those who were doing something instead of nothing. So there's a well-known parable um, in which Jesus talks about a, a farmer casting seed And he is using that to illustrate the gospel, the good news of what God's done for humanity. And um, he talks about people rejecting it and those few that receive it. So I'm gonna borrow that for a second and I'm gonna go a little off label and use it to illustrate what we're talking about here today. So uh, this is Matthew 13, three through eight. So uh, once there was a sower who scattered seeds, And one day he walked into a field and scattered seeds as he went. Some seeds fell beside a road and a flock of birds came along and ate those seeds. So the sower scattered seeds in a field. I I like this translation because it's linear instead of circular. In other translations, you get the impression that the seeds were all cast at once and it was like a pie, over here it wasn't going well, over here it wasn't going well. But this seems to indicate that the sower planted and failed and then planted and then failed and then planted and then failed, watch. So the sower scattered the seeds in a field, one with shallow soil and strewn with rocks, Uh, but the seeds grew quickly amid the rocks. That's good, right? But without rooting themselves in the shallow soil. Their roots got tangled up in all the stones and the sun scorched these seeds and they died. And so then the sower scattered seeds near a path. And this one was covered with thorny vines. Their seeds fared no better there, or the seeds fared no better there. The thorns choked them out and then they died. And so finally the sower scattered his seeds in a patch of good earth. At home in the good earth, the seeds grew and grew and eventually the seeds bore fruit and the fruit grew ripe and was harvested and the harvest was immense. 30, 60, 100 times of what was sown because as you know, the fruit of a seed produces seed. Right? Where do we get the seeds from? From the fruit that was produced by the prior seed. And so it's saying some of the fruit that was planted yielded 30. Times more. Some of the fruit yielded 60 times more. Some of the fruit yielded 100 times more. What I love about this, though, is the sower didn't fail to continue to do something. I can't tell you how much success you'll have, how much fruit you'll get from the seed that you'll sow. I don't know if it'll be 30, 60, 100 fold of whatever you invest. And whatever you do, what I can promise you is this, so nothing, get nothing. I can promise you, you will get zero if you invest zero. So can you promise yourself that starting right now, you'll just start doing something? Just start sewing, oh, well, I've tried it. PC, you don't understand. I've tried so hard, I can't do it. Try again. Just keep doing it over and over and over again because the more you plant, the greater the possibility of success. Number two is this, my fear, or my year is about to get a lot more greater because great things happen for those who've stopped being afraid to fail. So Jesus tells another story that we can read, read in uh, Matthew 25 in just a second. And I think it's one of the most important stories he tells because it, I think for us as followers of Christ is one of the most important lessons we can learn. So he starts this story talking about a master. He would often either talk about a farmer or he would talk about a master and his servants. Most likely because they were one of those things in some context or they had strong feelings about masters and servants and then and, and they could identify with being a farmer, everybody was a sower of seeds. Everybody uh, herded cattle and, 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 and goats and and sheep. They all understood what that meant to plant something in the ground. But they all understood what it was like too to have somebody wealthy and the the, the disparity between them. And so sometimes the wealthy were the heroes of the story and sometimes They were the villains, but in this story, Jesus talks about a wealthy man, a businessman, who's getting ready to go on a business trip, and he calls his servants together, three of them, and he says, I'm getting ready to go on a trip, but I'm going to entrust to you some of my wealth to do something with it while I'm gone. And it says, in accordance to their abilities, he gave to the servants some of his wealth. To the first, he gave $5,000. And to the second, he gave $3,000. And then to the third servant, he gave $1,000. And Jesus goes on to tell the story how the master finally returned from the trip and he began to call them in and have them give account for what they did with what he gave them. And to the first man who said, I've doubled your money, he was pleased and he said, you'll get to be my partner. And to the second, who doubled his money, he said, you also can be my partner and to the third, the man who he gave $1,000 to, that's where we pick up in Matthew 25, 24 through 30. This is what I want us to focus on. The servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and I hate, uh, and you hate careless ways and that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid that I might disappoint you So I found a good hiding place and I secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent, and the master was furious. That is a terrible way to live. It's criminal, criminal to live cautiously like that. If if you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with bankers where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Apparently they were paying a little interest back then too. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. Take away from him what was gonna stay with him that I would have allowed him to keep and give it to the one who did the most and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb and throw them out into utter darkness. This is an incredibly powerful image. Here's the deal, I sympathize with that guy. I identify with that guy. If somebody who was successful gave to me some of their success, I would also be really, really afraid that I would lose their money. I would rather say, Here it is, I didn't lose a penny. It's perfectly intact. I didn't breathe on it. I didn't look at it. I didn't let my kids touch it with their peanut butter and jelly fingers. I kept it safe for you, master, here it is. I know you're a man who doesn't tolerate losses. And the master was furious because he said, I gave to you something and entrusted you to make that work to put it to work, to get something out of it. Everyone else was capable of doing it, but you, because you feared, you were afraid to fail, you failed me. And can I tell you this? that God has entrusted you with talents and gifts and abilities, but most importantly, opportunities. Opportunities yesterday and the week before and the year before. Your entire life you've been given one opportunity after the other. And sometimes we wonder why we can't catch a break. Is it possible that we are mishandling every opportunity we've been given so far. And so God says, why would I continue to trust you with greater opportunities to have greater, to do greater, but to fail in greater ways because you have failed in every other way because you won't do anything. God says this to us, bet it all on black. Go for it, risk it all. I'd rather have you doing that than playing it safe. I didn't create you to play it safe. Third, my year's about to get a lot more greater because great things happen for those who know the law of averages. Has anybody heard of the law of averages? So it's a pretty simple concept. Some believe in it, some don't. Is, um, I'm gonna read you the official definition. It's something is sure to happen at some time because the number of times it generally happens or is expected to happen. That makes a lot of sense, correct? Okay, so here's what it means is, no matter how many times something has failed in the past, if you increase the number of times that it's done, you are increasing the probability that it will eventually begin to succeed. Because in all things being equal, failures and successes have to average themselves out. It's against the law of averages that everything would always fail. It has to start succeeding because that's how things work. I like that law. I like the idea that the more I invest, the more I do, the more I keep repeating it, the more I'm increasing the probability of greatness and success. Listen to what it says in Galatians 6, 9 through 10. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing what's right or doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let's work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. Can I tell you that there's no greater place for you to start experimenting and taking risk and taking chances than right here? this is a safe place to fail. I know that because I myself have practiced the art and science of failure. I've become so good at it that I can lead you well in failing. And so if you're comfortable being led by a failure, then you'll be comfortable failing yourself. Because I would rather us fail together and do it for the right reason, to please God, to honor God, to take advantage of every opportunity God's given us to do great things in our life for his kingdom, for his namesake, to benefit the people that God has put in our life. Because if you look at every passage, it tells us that God has put us here to serve people like he serves people. And so God will always honor those who fail at serving others rather than those who succeed at being selfish. So I want us to get really well practiced at just taking chances, increasing our odds of success in our life. Because we've come here and we've just said, you know what, I'm gonna try this. I've never tried that. I'm gonna start in a small, I can't stand, I'm, I'm not good socially. I'm terribly shy. I don't like speaking out loud. I don't like being part of discussions. But I know that God's created me for relationship. And so I need to get in a small group. I need to connect with people. It's the way God's going to use others to help me grow. I need to just Start reading something from the Bible every day. Even if it's a sentence, a word, I'm gonna make a habit of cracking it open and just reading something. I'm gonna pray no matter how dumb I think it sounds, no matter how silent I think God is being, I'm just gonna pray and pray and pray and pray. And I'm gonna use the law of averages that I believe success will start happening because it can't keep failing. It just can't keep failing. And then finally is this. Did you ever think I could make it through eight points <laughs> by 26 after? I'm gonna make this last one like 12 minutes long. My, my year is about to get a lot more greater because number four, great things happen for those who don't have time to procrastinate. James 4:13 through 15 says this, listen carefully, those of you who make your plans, and say, we are traveling to this city in the next few days and we'll stay there for one year while our business explodes and revenue is up. The reality is you have no idea where your life will take you tomorrow. Let me just pause right there. This feels like he might be saying, you don't have any idea if you're gonna be able to move or you're gonna be able to success. Listen to the next sentence. You are like a mist that appears one moment and then vanishes another. This is a warning that you don't have any idea if you get to continue in this life or in the next. It would be best if you said, if it's the Lord's will and we live long enough, we hope to do this project or pursue that dream. I, I, um, this was a rough week because I, um, as many of you maybe uh, were there and participated, um, I, I officiated two funerals um, back to back, Friday and Saturday. And there were people from here in our church community, long time families um, in our church and uh, Alejandra Medina and Heather Hobson. And I, I, I I won't say it's the first time I've made this realization, but and it's not certainly the first time I've shared this at a funeral, is somehow there's a, an unintentional arrogance of everyone in the room, me included, that believes that we get a lot more time than the person who we're honoring, who we lost. We, we somehow think that our time to be on that side of the memorial is way off. Even if we're older, I mean, I'm not, but I'm saying for some of you who are older, you might be getting ready. I don't know. Me personally, I've got a long, 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 long time. I mean, I'm in my 30s, so it's still, I don't know what they... All right, that's, a, that's enough. Wasn't that funny? <laughs> um, even those who battle with long-term illness are fighting to live. They're not, they're not fighting to speed up the clock. They're fighting to live more. And they are putting their hope in the belief that it's possible to get more days. Uh, there's a king that I mentioned in one of the memorials uh, named Hezekiah who had been told by the prophet Isaiah that in his sickness he would not recover. And uh, he turned his head to the wall, he began sobbing and he prayed to God. He said, I've lived as you told me to live. I've honored you in everything I've done. I- I've lived a righteous life. I-, I want more time. And before Isaiah had the chance to leave the courtyard, he spoke, God spoke to him and called him back and allowed Hezekiah to have 15 more years. Uh, It's possible that we've all, um, my family knows, my parents are here uh, today visiting from St. Louis and they know above all uh, that I'm like a cat, nine lives and I've used eight of them for sure. (laughs) Um, All kinds of crazy things have happened where I almost uh, drowned in the Merrimack River in Missouri on a youth ministry float trip and, was hit by a, a semi-truck in a winter storm on the way to visit a college and, and uh, spun out on ice multiple times. And just one crazy thing after the other. Um, bit by a rattlesnake while I was on staff here. Um, I think that maybe God, without me asking, has just gone, all right, I'm gonna give him a little more time. This guy has really, <laughs> I can't keep up with him. He's like, Probably had several guardian angels resign and go, I can't, I can't do it. He literally picked up the rattlesnake. It's not the rattlesnake's fault. The rattlesnake did what rattlesnakes do. That dummy picked him up, right? I don't know how many extensions you and I have already gotten, but we don't keep getting them. The Bible says it is appointed once for us to die and then judgment. I wanna leave you with this passage because if there is anything that should motivate us, it's the idea that today is the day that you've been given so far. I don't know that you get to finish it. I don't know that I do. And if I told you that you only had three days left, you might prioritize and do those days differently than if I told you you had 3,000 days left. Sure, you might be more careful and more uh, um, do better planning your 3,000 days, but the reality is, there'd be a, an urgency of those three days. You would put everything that's most important first in your life. So let me close with this passage, James 4, 17. It says, so you know the right thing to do, or, so you know the right thing that you ought to do, But if you know that and you do not do the right thing, then you have done a wrong thing. Another translation says, to know to do the right thing and not do it is also sinning. You see, we worry so much about what we're doing that sin. Stop worrying about that. You're going to do that and that's, don't worry about quitting sin. Start worrying about doing the good thing. Start worrying about doing the right thing. Eventually, you'll get bored of the wrong thing. You'll just be doing too much of the right thing. You don't have any time left to do as many of the wrong things, right? And it doesn't matter. The wrong things aren't separating you from God. They're separating you from the greatness that God's created you for. So get busy doing the great things. The one after the other, just keep Sowing seeds is great because sowing seeds always produces fruit. Doing nothing always produces nothing. You don't have time to keep doing nothing. You only have time to start casting seed and getting it into the ground and finding good soil. I would tell you, if you know where you're wasting time, stop wasting time there. If you know that you've cast seed in shallow soil before, stop casting it in shallow soil and start looking for the good soil. If you're in relationships that are choking out the good things that you're planting, move away from those relationships. I'm not telling you to abandon family or abandon marriage or abandon your kids. I'm telling you that God has put opportunities in your life that if you're wasting them on areas that you know don't produce anything, then get busy putting seeds into places you think could or you know could or probably could produce something instead of wasting your time on things you absolutely know don't produce anything good in your life. Because God's got great things for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just to give you, there's nothing spiritual about this, there's nothing magical about this, it doesn't transform you or transport you into God's presence, it just allows you focus. And I know that my voice may be an in interference but this is a moment between you and God in which number one, if you're not a follower of Christ yet can I tell you that there is no better opportunity than the one we're in right now I'm not going to ask you to stand up, raise your hand do anything. you don't have to do any of that as a matter of fact, you don't even have to pray this while you're here but if you will in whatever language, whatever words, whatever grammar you want to use to say, Jesus, I believe in you enough that I'm reaching out to you. I don't understand everything. I I, I don't know that I even believe everything, but if you really are my creator and you really do have a purpose for my life and there really is something greater than this, then I want to know what it is And if that means knowing who you are, then I want to know who you are. And I know that a lot of things that I've done might have made me unfamiliar with you and kept me from finding you. But if the Bible's true, sin doesn't repel you from me. My mistakes don't make you love me less or make you not want to be with me. The Bible says that You came for people just like me. And so if friendship is on the table, I would love to begin that friendship today. And you can pray that now and you can take that home in your heart and pray it later. But that and that alone begins your journey as a Christ follower. And for those who God has challenged you to Just start doing, just do it. Use this month to just stop guilting yourself and feeling badly and and setting goals you know you're gonna fail at and repeating this cycle that only brings about more guilt and and the weight of condemnation on our shoulders. Just start, God has given you so many things. Bet it all on black, just start doing things. When there's an opportunity to do good, do it. Don't pray about it, don't think about it, just act on it, just do it. You might screw it up, sure, but how awesome is it that you're screwing up at doing a good thing instead of being really excellent at doing nothing? And you just say, God, help me see every opportunity to do the good thing. Because to not do it, that is just as offensive of a sin is doing the bad things that we're all so worried about doing. Help us to do this. We need your help, Jesus, to think like you, speak like you, and act like you, to love like you loved, love who you loved, to help how you helped, and to live like you lived. We want that in our lives this year. It's your name we pray, amen. 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 Amen.